Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. It's Kylie Miller here, and today I'm joined with Dr. Lisa Fultz and um, Dr. Brenda Tabana. So, so hey, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, Kelly. Yeah. Um, so last week we just wrapped up with a with a big field day, and I guess that's going to be the topic of discussion today. Um, I guess we can just talk about basically uh, about the Taylor Project and what kind of research y'all are doing up there. Whoever wants to get started first, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, I'll go ahead. Uh, so the idea behind the Taylor Project is that we have this known issue in the Gulf of Mexico with the dead zone. And one of the big contributors to that is just excess nutrients, particularly nitrogen that runs down the Mississippi into um, the Gulf, causing all kinds of environmental issues. Um, And so working with the Patrick F. Taylor Foundation, one of their big pushes is to try and find ways to mitigate that problem. And so we're doing our part um, through not just research at the university, but doing demonstrations on farmers' fields. So we mm-hmm. have one working with the Hardwick family up north of Newellton, Louisiana, and working with Mr. Keith Duga and his family um, on sugarcane production in southern Louisiana um, to, to demonstrate best management practices, things like um, changing your tillage practices, putting in cover crops, using um, nutrient-rich strips and um, variable rate applications um, to show what kind of benefits those can have from an environmental perspective and Mm -hmm. how they might work in um, different production practices. Yeah, um, well, we had a good turnout up there last week, I thought. It was it was very informational and um, looked like we had a good crowd. But um, Dr. Brenda Tabani, you had you're doing more on the variable rate stuff. Is that correct? Uh, yes, yes, and uh, mostly we work on the variable rate that is already on operational setup where we mm-hmm. have the implements and the sensor hookup. It's more on the sugar sugar model farm, mm-hmm. uh, but we also have a sensor-based recommendation given for the trial or the demonstration that we have for the hard weeks. Yeah, is that mostly on the corn? Is, is that correct? We, yeah, this year is for corn, and uh, last year uh, we had it for uh, cotton. Okay, okay. Well, um, one of the things I wanted to ask about today was I remember at the field day that um, I think it was Mr. James. He had, um, oh, what was that thing called where y'all were doing the water sampling? Um, ISCO what, Automated Water Sampler. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? I thought that was pretty pretty different um, that we could talk about today? Uh, Sure. So we have one, actually we have a couple at both of the demonstration fields and basically they let us be in the field when we can't be there to Mm -hmm. collect runoff water samples from anything from, you know, irrigation or precipitation events that result in runoff. Uh, We have flumes put in that allow us to measure how much water is actually coming off of the field. Um, or a given area of the field. And Mm -hmm. then um, we collect, it actually has a pump in it that draws water in and collects samples over time. 
And then we can take those samples back to the lab and run them through all kinds of tests for um, different nutrients, pH, that kind of stuff to see, Mm -hmm. you know, how much, if anything, is running off the field at any given time um, and, and how our management practices might be influencing that. Have you found anything out recently or is this the first year of that one? Uh, we've had ours have only been in place for a, about a year. We're still working through all the data, but Brenda has actually had these in place um, at the at the Dugoff farm for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's correct. We have um, several samples that we've collected. I think several events where we're able to get samples from the field. Uh, we run them for ammonium and nitrate content, and uh, we also measure for concentration of total phosphorus and orthophosphate, mm-hmm. uh, even the turbidity, uh, total dissolved solids. And uh, visually, when you compare side by side, and we have samples that we collected that when you compare side by side water samples mm-hmm. from EMP plots and then from the plots that we have farmers. A standard practice, you can visually see the uh, level of cloudiness, if you will, you know, that's how you can see that, that there's more uh, um, sediments uh, floating uh, from that water samples we collected from the farmer's standard practice. And just to add on that uh, one best management practice that we inc- incorporate at the sugar model farm is also the residue, manage- residue management, which is, you know, we just... Um, try to keep as much as residue to add up on that uh, best management practices that uh, Dr. Fords mentioned earlier. Yeah. Well, welcome, Dennis. I just saw you join in. (laughs) It's a a busy morning. We had two rains yesterday here on the station and we're trying to find a dry spot to do something. And we need spraying. We could, you know, just trying to find something to do. And it's a busy morning. (laughs) Morning, Dennis. Good morning. How are y'all? I'm sorry I'm late. Just, oh, that's yeah. fine. Well, Dennis, we were talking about the Taylor Project and what they're doing up there, uh, just to catch you up to speed. Um, I know you're doing stuff up there too, Dennis. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, we were supposed to be doing irrigation work. It's rained enough this spring. Uh, we really haven't needed to irrigate. Um, Y'all, y'all are working with moisture sensors, is that correct? Yes, we, uh, we're we going to install moisture sensors, but we never have because it's rained enough. I think they I think they actually did water once, but it, we really hadn't needed water, and corn's about through now. So we're with these little rains that are coming through and frequently keep us, uh, have, have done the job for us so far this year. Yeah. Well, they were telling us about, um, you know, the, the, the topic that Mr. James had talked about, the water sampling thing, which, you know, with all the rain, that may be interesting this year. So, yes, it, um, his, he's got some pretty good stuff where he's collected uh, the water samples and stuff over in the last year, especially. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, I think we're picking up your phone ringing. <laughs> yeah, I just turned it off. <laughs> it's a busy morning. What can I say? <laughs> it, uh, so anyway, but we appreciate y'all coming on and talk, talking to us about it. And anything else? You got the sugar? Did y'all talk about the sugar cane? Not yet. Thing? We can talk about that for sure. Um, so what are y'all doing down at the sugar cane area and down in sugar cane country, I guess? Uh, well, right now we just finished all the field operation and um, uh, just like what we 
did last week at the Hardwicks. We're planning to put out another field day, which will usually schedule that uh, at the onset of the harvesting season, which is around the first week of October or second week of October. We can't do that uh, earlier than that because it's the planting season. Right. So the sugar model farm, we have, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have the residue management as among the best management practices that we implement. Uh, for this particular residue management, what we do is we have a sweeper. You know, sugarcane produces a lot of this residue, and most uh, at the time you put a lot of, a, a solid layer of residue on top of the bed after mm -hmm. harvest. And so, what the sweeper does is it it just sweep off, as you call it, sweep off this residue off from the bed, allowing. Um, the cane to be able to recommence growth properly and eliminate that uh, micro environment environment that could cause uh, you know like this that would uh, be very um, how do you call that term um, good for uh, pathogens to thrive on you know if it gets too moisture and then you have a warm winter and you have that cover on the cane then that will definitely uh, promote uh, diseases and so we. With the sweeper, we we were taking off that residue, but uh, in a sense that we still keep the residue so that, it, you know, down the road, we use that to build up organic matter and some uh, recycling of nutrients. So we sweep them off onto the furrow. <clears throat> it's also serve as a, a cover, you know, whenever we have rainfall or during the time that cane hasn't grown yet. And for example, if we receive a lot of rain sometime in February where the stand of the cane or the cane hasn't recommends growth as well. And um, another thing too that we implement is the variable rate nitrogen um, mm -hmm. where we variably apply nitrogen where it is needed at the rate that is uh, you know, suitable for the potential uh, yield potential of sugar cane. We also uh, work on cover crops, and so for that work, we're doing the time when the field is uh, fallow, we plant cover crops, a mixture of legumes and brassicas. And also at the time when we just recently planted a new cane crop, we also put down or uh, uh, plant cover crops because when you plant sugar cane, it probably takes about two to three months before you start having a canopy coverage <clears throat> at that point uh, the ground is very uh, susceptible to any kind of forces that would lead to erosion and runoff should we have some significant rainfall event taking place in the fall so then the nutrient strip uh, we don't uh, unlike in hardwick that where we have nutrient rich strip uh, at sugar model farm we have nitrogen rich strip which is our reference to get a uh, on the on the need basis application of nitrogen fertilizer using the remote sensor as our guidance. Okay. Um, on the cover crops, so explain when are y'all planting cover crops in the sugarcane? I'm just curious for me. Um, like after planting, is that what you just said? Yes, uh, you know, sugarcane is a semi-perennial crop. So when you say yeah. semi-perennial, when in one planting, you can harvest for three consecutive years, and that's uh -huh. the typical uh, typical practice here in Louisiana. So, for example, uh, this summer we plant sugarcane, uh, um, let's say around August, 
Okay. And so at that point, cane will re will need you know probably two months before it starts uh, germinating and producing leaves. And at that point, uh, sugar cane the, the 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 ground is essentially bare. You know, okay. there's nothing to cover as the cane as as newly cane planted will start uh, germinating. So mm -hmm. at that point, probably two or three weeks, we will also sow um, cover crops. And so the purpose of that is to have that coverage, cover cover the ground during the period where cane is just start germinating. Okay. And, um, so with winter, either we have a dieback, meaning if it's a hard winter, you'll start a cane that just produces biomass during the fall figure, they may die uh, during the hard, a hard winter, mm -hmm. and then grows back around March or the initiation of spring. And when we have a warm winter and spring, it'll grow really fast and then it goes back and then we will get to fertilize the field. But before the recommencement of growth, that's the time we will have the opportunity to uh, terminate the cover crops. Okay. So you can see it's quite different from an annual crops. And uh, uh, after that, we will let the cane grow and we harvest it for the first year, second year, and third year. And then after the third year, we will plow out the field because that's the last time you can harvest cane. They tend to produce lower tonnage as cane ages. Uh, so we will plow out and that will leave the field um, unplanted, you know, for like several months. And so after we plow out the last harvest, uh, after plowing out after the last harvest, we will sow uh, cover crops. And then once we sow the cover crops, and that should be around, you know, um, you know, give and take like November okay. um, of the third year. November, and then we will grow the cover crops until around um, May, uh, excuse me, around March of next year. And then we will terminate it again. And then here comes the summer crops, which is almost, all, always in the form of soybean. Right. Yeah. And we will grow soybean until around summer, you know, like uh, August, September, where, you know, definitely we're going to use the right gr maturity group of soybeans so we can, producer can cut the beans and use it as a cash crop at the same time. And by the time they're done harvesting soybean, here comes another uh, new cane crop that we have to plant and the cycle continues. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was very interesting. I, you know, I'm not very much familiar with growing sugarcane and um, and how that works anyway. I visited a, a sugar mill once or once and uh, seen how the harvest operation goes. But as far as growing sugarcane, that's, I guess that's foreign to us up here in the Northeast region. Um, yeah. We do have a little cane in Concordia, the very south end of Concordia Parish. But, um, but yeah, when you were mentioning cover crops and cane, I was like, how does that, how does that work? So, um, does insect pressure is that a is that a problem, Darren? Well, n not that I know of. Uh, we uh -huh. have um, uh, we never we never did anything different when handling uh, okay. pests like insect when we have the cover crops. I um, mean, so far for the sugar mother farm, it's just going smoothly. In fact, as we speak right now, uh, we bush hug our um, we have this. Uh, how they call this cowpea that we put in as a cover crops and then we're going to collect biomass now and see 
how much uh, nutrient we can recover, uh, you know, the cover crops recover and expectedly they're going to be returned to the soil, you know, in a few months. And that was a really interesting thing that Lisa talked about around about the nitrogen release upon, you know, incorporation of the biomass of cover crops. And Lisa, that's right, like four, uh, four to six weeks. You expect that uh, from your research uh, or your measurement the, um, uh, on nutrient or nitrogen coming out from a, uh, a bag biomass of cover crops. Yeah, what we found is that um, taking soil samples at different intervals, uh, we saw the highest uh, <clears throat> nitrate, nitrogen in our soil was about four to six weeks after you terminated the cover crop. So um, it, you know, helps when making decisions on how do you want to time everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Well, um, go ahead. Go ahead, Dennis. No, uh-uh. I have a question. This question uh, comes up a lot every year okay on like corn or cotton following soybeans how much nitrogen do the soybeans carry over i guess you'd say um how much is available to the corn or the cotton following a soybean crop are you uh you asking uh, well I, I i'll i'll jump on to this so uh, on that in that case, because uh, when you're talking about soybean being the crop the, the year before, right? For this, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, of course, they're go- you're gonna cut the soybean for cash crop, right? It's not yeah. like you're gonna try. Uh, I would definitely think there would be little credit, and maybe Lisa can add some more of the numbers in there. But you know, looking at what we've seen. Uh, from the biomass that is turned returned to the soil, uh, I would say 20, 30 pounds of nitrogen. But that that's coming from the biomass. It's a different story when you talk about that nitrogen from the biomass. How is it going to be available for the next year crop? Because those are almost a year apart. And uh, based on the research that uh, research that Lisa conducted, you know, you started seeing turnover or release of nitrogen or a flush of nitrogen, if that's the right term, beginning to occur four to six weeks. So will that be a full credit to the next crop, corn cotton, corner cotton? Um, I, it's hard to tell because, you know, the dynamics of nitrogen uh, once it's released, you know what's going to happen. Either it's going to be leached out if nothing is going to use it during the fall period. So it's a tough question to answer um, when it comes to really uh, how those thir- 20, 20 to 30 pounds will uh, benefit the next crop next mm-hmm. year. Well, it's a it's a question that we get, you know, well, I've got, I had, so I'm following soybeans, so you know, if I'm a little late, like especially with corn, if I'm a little late, you know, I'm, it's raining, I, you know, I put a starter out, but it's raining. Well, I still got 20, you know, 20 or 30 pounds, 30 is usually the common number that from the soybeans last year that's still out there, you know, that I'm, um, so I've got a, I've got a little extra cushion, I guess, is what people are, you know, how much, you know, and it's, it's just always been a question as to how much actually is is available uh if you put a if you planted soybeans and then planted a cover crop that took up the nitrogen after the four to six weeks took it up and then you terminated that 
would that let it, would that nitrogen be available for your cash crop? You know, how would what? that work? I'll go ahead. No, how would that work? That like you, you cut your beans, you plant a cover crop. The cover crop takes up the nitrogen released by the soybeans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, then, I, I got you now. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, would that would that carry out? Would that bridge your thirty units? Would that bridge it over and carry it to the following crop? Yeah, that's that's one of the things that we're trying to uh, determine here. And so far, um, what we do here uh, at the Benhar Research Station is we put up a starter fertilizer because mm -hmm. cover crops are plants that our plants also they need nutrients the same as yes. as right. the corn and cotton so we thought that if we boost uh the growth of cover crops by applying a starter fertilizer when we sow them in 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 fall we think that it will you know produce more biomass in the sense that it will also capture more of the uh nutrients that release from a legume that we planted during you know early spring to summer so mm -hmm. So far, it was it, it does not have an outstanding effect on it, uh, but that means it, it doesn't mean that it's not scavenging the nutrient that it released from soybean or the previous of the or the previous crop or before we plant the cover crops. So the cover crops itself will definitely scavenge everything that it can. Uh, consume all those plant available nutrients, it's definitely going to be taken up. The researchers might not be seeing the effect of the, um, what do you call it, the starter fertilizer is because at that point where we have the cover crops planted, there's not much differences on the nutrient status of the individual plots where we have these two treatments put on. So mm -hmm. it doesn't show, but it it started really, and uh, it started really taking up all the nutrients. And at the later, the next cropping crop, uh, the next crop, uh, which is, I think, we have the student who measured for uh, the corn yield. We started seeing a, a benefit on planting cover crops early. Mm -hmm. And we assume that it is because of the opportunity for this cover crop to pick up more nutrients coming from the previous crop that we planted mm -hmm. uh, in spring. And so it definitely bridges that out. Uh, whatever release in the summer crops that we had, and then we have the cover crops picking up all <clears> these <throat> nutrients, whether it's those residual that from the applied fertilizer or those nutrients coming from the biomass of the, the of the uh, main crops that we plant, those definitely will be used up by the succeeding crops or the the, the next crop um, um, next year. Okay, well, that, well, it makes it the cover crops a little more valuable in my estimation that you're you're putting out you have this fertilized nitrogen available and use it to bridge use the cover crop to bridge it to carry it over to the following crop rather than just saying i've got 30 pounds you know after soybeans i got 30 pounds well that's yeah. not true and so you can't you know uh and it might be i know with you can see fields that where they have cotton especially following corn you know 
there's a good while there. It really doesn't need fertilized, you know, to, you know, cause we put enough out, you know, and that's out there. And then, you know, so anyway, that was my question. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, it was a long answer, but yeah, there's no question about the purpose of having the cover crops uh, during the fallow period. And like you said, it just serves as a bridge for, for example, if we have rotation of legumes and uh, grains like corn. So we definitely have can get can get credit from soybean being a rotational crop, but we need to bridge that. And at that 20, 30 pounds can go a long ways if we'll be able to get something in between uh, the soybean and corn in rotation. So to bridge that uh, gap. Mm -hmm. Let me, I got, I got to follow up and then I'll push. Um, <laughs> okay. Normally we, we usually put out a lot of P and K in the fall and do, um, if we have a cover crop out there and we apply, we go ahead and apply our P and K in the fall. The cover is the cover crop going to take it up and just hold on to it, so we don't have to worry about leaching or running off. So it's available for the following crop. Yes, I mean if if we have the if you have the P and K apply in the fall, they can tend to take this up, and from the research that we've done so far. Uh, Lisa had the nitrogen, and I did also for phosphorus and potassium. As early as six months, we started seeing a, a increase in the soil, soil uh, P and K concentration. It may not be significant, but you started seeing that they start to release from whatever is mm -hmm. coming from the cover crops biomass. Okay, so um, another thing I want to point out for a, an immobile nutrient like phosphorus and potassium, uh, leaching probably is of less concern compared to nitrogen. So I, I would probably more concerned of when we have uh, P and K applied and and then we have runoff uh, or more of this lateral movement of water that they can carry uh, nutrients uh, to lower level or lower level of the fields. And so that's probably more, of course, they're all literally, you know, worst case scenario is we have really movement of uh, a surface layer of soil where it can carry uh, P and K off the uh, surface of the soil. So, but nevertheless, it's still uh, having cover crops in there, it'll be able to take up those nutrients, maybe not all, but that definitely will be placed back. It's, it's gonna tie in a good way and available for any kind of forces that we may lose this applied fertilizer, mm -hmm. but later on it will be released. And in, in, in one of our studies, we've seen, um, like I said, release as early as uh, six months. Okay. So it's, uh, okay. Well, that was just a question because it's, I mean, we put out fall P and K and then you rehip the rows, you know, or pull your rows back up. And then the rows are kind of bare for the winter time, you know, for erosion. So, but if you had a cover crop out there, would it just hold, help hold it together and hold it, keep it from not necessarily leaching, but just eroding away? Yeah, because the, you know, cover crops is uh, by the name plus cover, so it will protect the soil. So yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a dual purpose if if we can um, you know, see it that way. 
you have the cover crops protect, protecting the surface of the soil from erosion or runoff, and then they also, as a plant, takes up those nutrients that, you know, they temporarily hold them and then release it back when it's time for the main crop next year to grow. Well, that's good. Huh. Well, well, um, I know y'all y'all need to go because y'all have a busy morning coming up here in the next like, 30, 20 minutes or so. So I'm going to let y'all go. Um, but we appreciate y'all joining us today and talking to us about what you're doing. Um, and also before I, before we sign off, um, I want to mention and Dennis, too, probably the um, the two field days coming up at the research station um, this month. Uh, there's the Row Rice Field Day at the Northeast Research Station on the 15th. Uh, that one's going to be in the evening. Is that correct, Dennis? Yes, yeah, it will five be at 5 to 6.30. Yeah, 5 to 6.30. We'll talk about fertility. We've got a variety trial. We've got a seed, actually got a seeding rate trial where uh, we've got seed, different seeding rates. We've got fertigation. We'll talk about a little bit about weed control, a little disease. Just, But it'll be specifically focused on row rice. Okay. All right. Um, and then the general just uh, field day, that's going to be on the 27th. And that one's also in the afternoon too, right? Yes, that's 5 to 6.30. And that one will be 60-inch cotton, 30-inch soybeans, 30-inch corn, 30-inch versus 38s on corn and, and uh, soybeans. And then we have 60-inch cotton versus 38-inch cotton. And all that is in one field right here across from the station on the highway. Um, and we'll have it all right there together. These these tours are a little bit different. We won't be on trailers. These are kind of like walking tours where we just start at one end of the field and just walk down as each scientist talk about their different tests. And uh, it seems to work really well. Late in the evening, it's not too hot. Uh, we tend to concentrate thing and specifics is what we're looking for. Yeah, you know, and meal, a meal will be served at both of those. That's correct? No. No meals? Okay. No meals. We'll... Sorry have plenty of water and we should have watermelon to kind of help, you know, help people cool <laughs> off a little bit, but we're just going to kind of concentrate, go through it and get it done and let everybody get back home huh? or go to the, the Mexican restaurant, the new Mexican restaurant there in St. Joe. And I hear it's pretty good. <laughs> it is pretty good and it's, it stays busy and it'll, it, uh, they will, they'll be glad for everybody to come. I bet. <laughs> but anyway, well, thank y'all for uh, joining us and we appreciate y'all's time and fitness in and uh, we hope to see you again real soon. Thank you. Uh, thank you. We thank you. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension office.